Hi, it's Matt, and welcome to the second series of the Cult Creator Experience, a podcast designed to share with you great digital leaders, podcasting, and content creation. I'm on a mission to help you find success through content creation. In this second series, I wanted to try something a little bit different. Series one was all about my process and sharing with you what I consider when I'm making a podcast. And that got me thinking, I wonder what people consider success in content creation. So in the second series, I'm going to go out there and find other creators. I've got 10 different stories to share with you and 10 different definitions of what success looks like from their content creation. But before we get into the show, can I just ask quickly that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcasting app of choice so that you can keep up with all of these incredible tales of success through content and podcasting. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. In this episode of the Cult Creator Experience, we are joined by podcast producer and host of the C Word Radio, Helen King. At 37, Helen was diagnosed with breast cancer, and after successful treatment, she came out of it all feeling a little alone, and she didn't really find any relevant support groups for other young cancer survivors. Inspired and supported by the acclaimed podcast You, Me and the Big C when she was sick, Helen decided she wanted to start her own creative outlet to help other young cancer survivors share their experience. In this episode, Helen shares how to discuss the tough topics, how to find the right guests for her podcast, the struggle to get listeners, and the importance of a strong purpose and commitment to your content creation. I love this episode. Helen is so much fun to talk to. She's got a great sense of Kiwi humour about her. And I hope that you also enjoy the show. Helen, thank you for joining me today. It is brilliant to have you on the Creator Experience. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to hear your story. I have heard your story on another podcast, but I'm keen to share it with our listener today. Could you just jump straight in and introduce yourself and your podcast, please? Yeah, sure. So I'm Helen. Um, You can probably tell that I'm a Kiwi by the fact that everything I say sounds like a question. (laughs) (laughs) like the inflection at the end Um, and I host and produce um, the C Word Radio which is a podcast for for anyone who um, is a young cancer survivor I'm 41 and I am a young cancer survivor which is quite nice If there's anything yeah, nice to come out of survivor cancer. Survivor is good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I talk with people who, like myself, experienced um, a cancer diagnosis at a younger age and, and just the, the impact that that can have on your life. Yeah, that's great. I'd like to sort of take you back a bit and um, I'd love you to share your journey up until that point where you decided that you were going to create a podcast You could have created other content, but what was that journey to the point of, I need to create this? Yeah, so I guess part of it really was um, that when you you finish cancer treatment, um, it's kind of no man's land. So anyone who's been through this or maybe gone through it with a loved one will know the experience of um, cancer treatment is really intense and you're just surrounded by, you know, you've got doctors, you've got nurses, you've got all these people and then um, you finish and you're, you know, 
fixed. <laughs> and you yeah. sort of get, Off you, you go. Know, bye, go live your life now. And um, yeah, it was just a very difficult time. And there wasn't really anywhere that I felt that I connected or could relate to. And then the pandemic hit <laughs> in March <Yeah>. 2020 <laughs> and we were all at home. And I think a lot of people did sort of get creative in different ways. And I think being at home and with, the, you know, the pandemic and all the uncertainty, it sort of, it compounded a lot of those of feelings of feeling really disconnected and lost and things. And because mm. I have a background in journalism, I think I was really drawn to create something and to, I guess, you know, be more towards a storytelling side of things. And that's that's how I, yeah, I guess I was attracted to it. I did first think of doing, I just had a, something move. I think I might have a ghost. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think of... <laughs> <laughs> a podcasting ghost. Yeah. Well, you um, did say you were feeling alone before the podcast. I know. And now, and now I'm, here the yeah. three of us are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had actually thought about doing videos, like a series of videos of people talking about different parts of having a breast cancer diagnosis because that's the kind of cancer I had. But be- mm. I think my background is, because my background is in radio production, Audio has always felt really comfortable to me and I actually think there is such a power in audio that is often sort of, I think, um, like video is great, but I think there's something a little special about just audio. So that's, yeah, that's Mm. my rambling way of, of how I came to be in podcasting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, I mean, video is more effort. It is It is more effort. There's so many more facets to think about. Yeah. And if you just want to get something out there and get started, I think that video sometimes is too big a hurdle for people to start with. Yes. I want to dive back into your um, your journalistic side of things. So the radio, can you share a little bit of your sort of radio background and how that translated into getting your podcast launched? Yeah, I mean, I've never, ever gone about anything in this sort of um, logical (laughs) way or the right way. So I did, um, this is when I was in my sort of mid-20s, I'd finished my degree and first year of a postgrad, and first year of postgrad, and I'd done arts, which I think in the UK is similar to here, where it's like, I did like anthropology and media studies, so it's not like art with a paintbrush. And I had no idea what I wanted to do and someone suggested radio and I literally um, emailed all the radio stations in Auckland and one of them got back to me <laughs> and, and I basically got my foot in the door and I started overnight panelling with talk back. So I was the person who, you know, pressed the buttons for the ads to go and that sort of thing. And that really evolved into producing and then being in the newsroom as a journalist and I guess going back into podcasting, I kind of did it the same way where I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't follow <laughs> any of the recommendations. No. I just threw myself into it with an idea and um, just kind of figured it out as I went along, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that idea, did you have in mind someone that you wanted to reach? Who was your audience? Did you go and find that audience? Yeah, I think... At the start, it was people like myself because I, what really, 
I guess what influenced me was that there is a fantastic podcast, um, a UK-based one, You, Me and the Big C, and Mm -hmm. that saved me during many a night after chemo where you're awake at 3 (laughs) a.m. contemplating your mortality. You know, it was like a lifeline of people talking about cancer experiences that I could relate to and that I felt, you know, I didn't feel so alone or frightened and that sort of thing. And I think that's always stuck in the back of my head of I want this to be authentic and I want it to be um, relatable. And so that's initially where I started. And as I've gone on, I really have um, honed in on actually this is the person I want to speak to. Because, you know, at first you want to appeal to everyone. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. There's too many uh, too many targets to hit all at once. Yeah. So you, when you knew you said already that you were looking for more of a storytelling side of you know sharing the experience of dealing with cancer at a young age, were you already part of certain support groups or communities online with people also in the same situation? Yeah. So I had been, um, I, and I guess this was part of the the challenge for us who are younger is that cancer support groups are really catered for older people because most people who get cancer are older and they're at a very Mm. different time in their life. And so when I was being offered those sorts of things, I had to go back to work and, you know, and so I did have, there's one online group for women who are under 40 or 45 and had breast cancer. And so, There was a little bit, but there really wasn't a lot out there. And I think the other thing was is that the dialogue or the, I guess, the representation in either mainstream media or what we see, you know, people get trotted out during awareness months. But I sort of Mm. felt like (laughs) these stories aren't really, it was that, oh, I got cancer, it was terrible, and now I'm great. And it's like, I messed up in the head, man, surely (laughs) What yeah. other people are? Where are those stories? Yeah. So, did you share the idea of launching a podcast with those people before you launched it, or how much support did you get for your venture? Yeah, I guess I, I, I did. People were interested. A lot of people didn't understand so much what a podcast was, so that that was a challenge. But people were intrigued. I think about this idea of being able to tell your own story and hear stories that might be similar to what that experienced. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got like, you've got a double challenge there. You've got to convince people to listen to a podcast, but first mm. educate them on what a podcast was. Oh, absolutely. And this is the most intriguing thing to me. And I should, so my podcast is sort of interesting in the way that because when I was looking at setting up, um, you know, you obviously look at, well, how does it, how is it distributed and those sorts of things. Mm. And radio is very big in New Zealand. I think per capita, we have always had a really high radio consumption. Um, yeah. And so I, my show actually goes out first on a community radio station here in Auckland. Really? Yeah, on Planet FM. Um, they're awesome. It's it's such an amazing, um, yeah, it's such an amazing thing to be part of this radio station because it really does cater for all sorts of different groups, but that's an entirely different story. Um, yeah. And so 
I, that was really great. And interestingly, I actually get the majority of my downloads from their website rather than the, um, you know, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and things. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. And so I, I think this is the intriguing thing sometimes about podcasting is, um, yeah, just trying to figure out, yeah, how do I educate people? Because I, I yeah. have people on my, because I've built up my Facebook page and I've built up my Instagram and I feel like, you know, I get quite good engagement. And I realized sometime last year, which I thought was hilarious, that I have people who follow me who have never listened to my podcast, but they really like my content. And so yeah. that's got me very intrigued about what you're talking, you know, what you mentioned there is how do you convert them to listeners? Yeah. Um, so it, it is quite an interesting thing of you think, oh, I've just made this podcast, now everyone will listen to it. Everyone will come but, to it, yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's just not Build the it and they will come and then you yeah. sit there with the crickets like, hello? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did you launch um, on the radio from the get-go or was that something that transpired over time? <laughs> so, oh, wow, so you had that platform available to you. That's incredible. And that's where you've developed that sort of strength of community locally as opposed to yeah. the wider cancer survivor audience. Yes and no. So this this is the intriguing thing is that um, what I really liked about the radio station was that um, they're an amazing bunch anyway, um, I, you know, community radio is. Um, and at the time, um, and this was sort of before we went back into, you know, major lockdowns. It also meant that I had access to a studio and those sorts of things, but I have done editing and that sort of stuff, so it was just sort of relearning. But, yeah, it's just it has been a platform where I've been able to, you know, distribute my podcast, but it's really been in the networking and the connection and the community building on Facebook and yeah. Instagram where that, yeah, so it's, it is this funny thing. And then I have people who listen to my podcast who I come out of the woodworks and I, it's just, and you, and in my head I'm thinking, this is so funny because you're like a middle-aged man from rural yeah. New Zealand, not really who I think my target audience is. And then, but you love my podcast. It's fascinating, <laughs> it's isn't just, it? It's really intriguing. There's, so the content format, is it... All in, I know some of them are interview shows. Have you done any panel shows as well? So I when I when the podcast started, I did have a co-host, and so mm -hmm. we did a few podcast episodes together, and then that didn't work out. And so I've been going since then. I think I've done over seventy episodes now. I'd say over ninety percent of them have been interview based. I have done yeah. I think one solo. I think because. And this is this has been one of the challenges for me is that when you come from a journalism background, you're not used to putting yourself in the picture so much. Yeah, and that has been a learning curve for me, where you know you focus very much on your subject matter, and I think that's I felt a lot more comfortable in in doing interviews. Um, mm. I haven't really delved into panels yet, but that I think that as well has been a learning curve of. I can bring myself into it and people do want to hear what my experience has been. So, yeah, it has been just trying to figure out where do I push myself outside of my comfort zone and where 
and what do people really want to listen to? Well, I think the subject matter is outside of many people's comfort zones. It's a tough thing to mm. talk about. I mean, you've got an incredible personality. You're so happy and you love to laugh. <laughs> and, you know, it, you just, you, you're willing to approach the tough subjects. Mm. So how do you think, do you think your interview technique has adapted and changed as you've shared these stories? Yes and no. So I think for me, when I was a journalist, I mean, I, I was an okay journalist. <laughs> I, one of my challenges... I wasn't going to get fired, but I wasn't going to get promoted. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes mediocre is okay. Um, but my, <laughs> part of my problem was that I can... I'm quite a sensitive person. Like, I feel mm. things intensely. And so I like people to feel like they can trust me. And so I think... I've always been good at helping people feel at ease and then also understanding how much of myself can I insert into this so they they trust me enough to share their experience. And yeah. so I think I have brought that in. And I, yeah, I probably have got better at that of understanding how much to share and how much to to sort of let the other person um, talk about. But I, I think that is a skill um, that I had learned as a journalist, that if you if you want get people to talk to you and get the, the sort of interesting stuff, is that they have to trust that you are genuine and that there's something relatable about you. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're getting guests on the show, how do you sell the prospect of being on your podcast because it's it's a tough subject it's not something people are normally sort of forthcoming mm. about I think one of the things has been is that providing a space for people to talk about a really traumatic experience mm. in their own words and really own it and really feel like they all of a sudden have a voice because I guess the thing is about cancer treatment is that all of a sudden your body is medicalized and you have no control over it. You have, yeah. you just have no say. Well, you do have a say in what's going on, but it's it's a really weird experience. Like all of a sudden you're sort of putting your trust in somebody else. And I think one of the things that has appealed to people is that I offer a space where we can challenge some of those things of, no, we're not cancer warriors. <laughs> Right. We're just not, you know. And so that what people have said to me or I get feedback about is that I'm very honest and mm. I'm very, but I can also, for me, humour has always been a way I've dealt with things. And so I think because that comes across, people feel quite comfortable and open to share those things with me. Mm. Yeah. So you've given that, that space with your own personality, reinforcing it really. Have you ever found that you found the limits of the discussion or the topic? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I think you can sense it with some people. Like, um, right. I had a person that I interviewed a few months ago and I just really got the sense with them that they, they, they're not naturally someone that likes to be in the spotlight, but because of the type of cancer they have, they have stepped into a, an 
advocacy role because it's a cancer that was very, um, you know, underfunded and under-researched. Mm. And she wanted to come on the podcast, but I think, you know, because it wasn't natural for her. And so in those sorts of cases, I think for me, I know that there are going to be limitations. And so for her, I knew that talking about her diagnosis and those sorts of things could potentially be really, really triggering and hard for yeah. her. And so we actually stuck more to how she got into advocacy and what the challenges were. And so I think, um, for me, that's come with time and experience of understanding that you do have a duty of care. Like, I don't want anyone to walk away feeling really exposed and vulnerable. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, so I think sometimes for me that's instinct and figuring out what does this person feel okay talking about and do you discuss that before the show or yeah yeah quite so, often right yeah so what i what i usually do is i have a um it's like a, a guest form that you fill out mm-hmm. and so i've got a number of questions and the first thing is you can kind of sense by what they've put in that what they yeah. might feel okay with talking about and then Sometimes I might do a pre-sort of interview, um, you know, might jump on Zoom for 10 minutes and just sort of talk to each other. And then with some people, you know that you're just going to be able to jump on and they'll, (laughs) and you just start talking. Yeah, they're just there, open book. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, and I used to do this as a journalist as well, where you do start with easier questions or I just start the interview, you know, might start recording and we just, I just chat with them and I chat with them until I can feel that, okay, they're starting to relax. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is, some of it is instinct in terms of where is that limit, but I think also it's understanding that there's stuff that people don't need to share and, not pressuring them into sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being attuned to that, isn't it? Mm. And when you launched the podcast, what would be success? Was there a determinant of the success of the podcast for you when you launched? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think this this changes and I think it's really hard to get out of the frame of mind that downloads is success. Yeah. Um, because in radio and TV and, and media, it really is, you know, downloads, hits, how many people have, yeah. you know, and in social media, it's the same. How many people, where is this reached? And mm. slowly learning that you can't really apply that to podcasting because podcasting is a different beast altogether. And so I have a couple of different measures of success, I think. Yeah. I think some of it is is the willing uh, is people seeking me out and going, okay. oh, I've heard your podcast, I'd really like to come on. Also, I guess a little bit of engagement with the cancer charities as well. Yeah, and just and just some of that sort of stuff has changed is changing my mindset around downloads and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I had a really amazing interaction recently with this, and this is another, this sort of loops back to to engagement, is um, this woman had been following my Instagram and we chat quite often and she said, oh, I've I've never listened to your podcast. It's like, oh, that's all right. (laughs) But I had actually, that's all right. But I had actually done an episode with someone that had that same 
cancer she had had. And I said, hey, I, you might enjoy this, um, but, mm. you know, no worries if you're too busy, that sort of thing. And that very Kiwi way, you know, no worries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't worry If you can, about that's it. fine. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> but wishy-washy. Yeah. But it was amazing because she came back to me and she said, listening to that was was more useful than like a year's worth of therapy. I was like, oh my wow. gosh. That's such you a good know, result, yeah. Yeah, and I think people might look and go, oh, okay, that's one person. I think, well, that's pretty incredible that I'm just some, I'm just sitting in my kitchen <laughs> talking to people about cancer. Yeah. And then there's someone out there that might listen to it and at that moment in their life they can go, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh, someone understands, you know, and I think for me with what my podcast is, that's success, yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. Was there, um, before you launched, was there a point where you were like, if this doesn't do what it's done, I will stop? Yeah. Did you give yourself like a limit on episodes or engagement? What was your stop point? I don't know, to be honest. Um... It's an interesting one because I don't think people think of them. I think it's 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 often, oh, I'm going to launch and be successful, and they they people wrap success up. But I also think yeah. underlying people say, well, if I don't see X, I'm going to maybe call it a day. I wondered wh- whether you yeah. had that in mind because you're so positive. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm such a grump at times, but I can really? be positive. I'll take it. Yes. I think I kind of wanted to figure out what it was going to be like. And as I've, it's kind of evolved, I think the thing for me is if it gets too much, I can stop. You know, if it gets mm. to a point where it becomes laborious and I'm not getting any satisfaction out of it, then I can stop and at least I've contributed something. But I think, yeah, I can get to 100 episodes and go, do I have more to say? Do I need to take it in a different direction? What do I want to do? Yeah, so, I mean, there's definitely been peaks and troughs and those sorts of things. Because I, you know, I mentioned I started with a a co-host and that didn't work out. And so I guess, you know, at that moment I could have easily gone, oh, this isn't working, let's just walk away. But I, I can be really very focused and determined. And so when I want to do something, it's sort of... If you're in my way, you're in my way. <laughs> I just kind of keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the co-host thing? I mean, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what? Why? Why didn't having a co-host not work? Because I think some people love the idea of having a co-host, someone that's in it together. Yeah. You know, but it's it's common. It's more common than people think that hosting a show often goes its separate ways. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons. Yeah. What, what happened with so you? So I think there are a few things. Like I think this was, you know, the idea I had a very clear, I know this is going to sound so wanky, I had a very clear vision of what I wanted to create, you know. And I think anyone, I guess anyone who's worked in creative stuff or maybe media, where when you've worked in industries where there's always like, oh, go through an editor or the producer and those sorts of things, when you have an opportunity to create something that is yours, it's so exciting. <laughs> it's just like no one else gets to tell me what to do, which is very exciting for me. 
And I'd never met this person. They had sort of reached out to me when an article in one of our newspapers was published about my cancer experience. But we didn't really know each other as people. And when I, you know, started talking about the project, um, she said, oh, I want to be involved. I want to, you know, and I sort of, I said yes without thinking, which is a, which is a downfall um, for me is I can be quite impulsive. And I think... Mm-hmm. The challenges were we didn't live in the same city, although with the internet that's not a huge issue. And I don't think she realised the amount of work that goes into a podcast. I think what she had envisioned was that you just turn up and you start talking into a microphone, which um, which you can, of course. But I think for me... Yeah, we've all heard those. Yeah, yeah. and so it was things like, yeah, things like that... And, yeah, just some other things. I think personality-wise, we just started not to to really click in that way. And, yeah, mm. and it just got, it got to that point where I just, I was doing the bulk of things and I just got to this point where I said to her, look, I'm happy for you to be involved, but I'm just, I'm going to start to get resentful if I'm the only one doing this stuff. So I need you to think about the reality of the amount of time you can put in versus what you want and to think about that. And I think that's something that most people don't realise is that podcasting takes a lot of time and also when you're not being reimbursed for that, it can feel like you have to really love what you're doing to keep doing something that's like a part-time job for free. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's a... It's a big investment. Let's let's go into the investment. Let's talk about your process. So um, how much pre-production goes into an episode? Yeah, so I guess there's the finding guests and figuring out um, are they a good fit? Are they going to be a good interview? A bit of research, looking into them. Because I also do make sure that there's no red flags about this person. Like if they like rampantly homophobic or racist or a Trump supporter or anything like that on their Facebook, right? That yeah, yeah. I just can't abide by that. So like I do. Have you had any sort of non-PC, not suitable for your audience applications? Or no, not really. No, and I mean. I'm not saying, like, if you vote differently for me, I wouldn't have you on. I think for me it's that thing of if there's something outwardly, like, quite sort of, you know, red flaggy about your (laughs) your social media, then we're probably not right, you know, the right fit. And so once I've done that, it really is about, you know, setting them up for understanding what the interview process will be like and setting the expectations for how long the editing and turnaround time will be. And then I guess there's the interview and then the editing and the, yeah, and the promotion and then the aftercare sort of stuff of, yeah, sending stuff to them. So it is quite, quite, as you know, it is quite a process. Yeah, I do. And I'm always interested to see how much time people put into it because, like you said, it is a part-time job and it Mm. doesn't offer very much remuneration, if any, at all. Yeah. (laughs) So when you're looking for a guest, what are you looking for in the ideal guest, specifically for your audience? I know it'd be different for everyone else's audience, but what do you look for? 
I look for a few different things. I think confidence in talking is key because, and this is this for people who maybe haven't come from a media background or come from a background where, ta- you know, talent isn't part of what you're considering. There is a part of you that has to consider will this person be able to talk for a good amount of time and be engaging and yeah. interesting and confident and comfortable in what they're, you know, in what's going on. And so I do a little bit of searching and, you know, maybe they've been on a podcast before, maybe they talk on their social media. Yeah, all of those sorts of things. And you can kind of gauge it as well when you're interacting with them about how open they are to talking and, hey, this is my story and those sorts of things. This year I have really narrowed down in in terms of who I'm looking at because I really started to see that my experience as a younger person is where I, I feel passionate. That's who I'm going to target and focus on. And so I look for people who have been impacted by cancer between about 15 to 40, you're considered adult and young, <laughs> young adult yeah. cancer. And so that's my next thing. I think my my audience is like 90% women. And so I I do mostly talk to women. I'm, I do sometimes have men on. But I do find, and this is very intriguing, that it's harder to find men who have been impacted by cancer to talk. I Yeah, more women are open okay. about, yeah, what they've been going through. Um, yeah, and those sorts of things. And I also, I take into consideration, am I showing a cross-section of society? Am I talking to lots of different people from different backgrounds? Um, because cancer doesn't really care <laughs> who you are. No. You know, yeah. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. And do, is that hard to find an, a, a cross-section of different people with different stories and different experiences? Um, because there is, it, there is the, uh, by looking for someone, you find a type of person that mm. is willing to share. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's interesting you said that men aren't willing to share or you haven't been able to find men that are willing to share proportionally to the women yeah. that you have. Yeah. How difficult is that to find that cross-section to give that representation? It's not that hard. So it has to, for me, it's become a conscious thing because at some point last year I went, oh my God, I'm talking to, <laughs> this is, gonna, this is the, I guess, the, the honest conversation I had to have in my head of I'm talking to too many white people. And I guess because I'm yeah. a white woman that's, you know, people other white people will relate to me. But I thought, look, I have a responsibility to to share my platform and to really, you know, share my space with lots of different people because we are all impacted by cancer. Yeah, I mean, if you look, if you look and you expand, then it's easy to find people from different backgrounds um, and also networking with different cancer um, charities. I don't know whether this is, and I don't want to make gross generalizations, but I don't know whether women share more on social media. So I do come across more women who are either going through cancer or have been through cancer that have created social media accounts. I don't know whether men don't, that isn't the way that they feel that they can do things. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. 
Yeah, that is a really good point that, you know, Instagram is what well, is notoriously for like women were the main users actually yeah. posting things on there in terms of lifestyle, especially things that had relationship or emotion and family. Facebook, because obviously, you know, your mums will put the pictures up for your nan and granddad to see. Yeah. It's not used like it was when it was originally made. Yeah. TikTok is a whole different audience. Snapchat, who knows where they yeah. are. Um, <laughs> But it's it, what we don't realize sometimes is that we might be trying to seek an audience through social media so that we can stalk them a little bit and yeah. see if they're suitable to be a guest or suitable for your brand or podcast. Yeah. And they might not be there. You might be looking under the wrong rock. Yeah. It might be, like you say, going to actual networking events where men are notoriously more prevalent in networking events mm. and and finding the right people that way. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So recording the show, um, how long do you interview for? Do you do everything remote? Do you do anything in person? Everything has been remote because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Good old COVID. Um, good old COVID. And a lot of my interviewees are overseas at the moment. Um, I'm getting, okay. I've been interviewing a lot of people in the US and I actually interviewed some uh, lovely women in, from the UK last weekend. Um, so I do like to, yeah, I, I do everything online because I, yeah, I've just sort of been branching out to beyond New Zealand and talking to different people. Yeah. And it is a very different experience, I think, interviewing in person. And I do really enjoy it. Um, and this is another mm. great thing with the radio station is that if I wanted to, I could book space there and record an interview with a person in the room. And I do love that experience and I, I hope <laughs> that when things get a little... Fingers crossed, things will, you know, get a bit easier and I would love to start doing that again. Yeah. That's awesome. And um, you said you do the post-production and stuff. How long does that take? What do you look for when you're editing to remove or to add? Yeah. So I, what is my process? So I like to go through and I have two things in mind. First of all is... Listening to a conversation that you're not having is very different to having it. And so when you when you edit this, you will probably find all the words that I say a lot, like like and you know and um and all of that sort of thing. But you don't notice that when you're talking to a person. But when you're listening, that sort of stuff can be quite distracting. So I'm looking for anything that may be distracting or take away mm. from the actual message of what or the essence of that person's story. Um, so that's like a, a very basic thing that I do, or mouth noises and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Then in terms of a content edit, I take away anything unnecessary. And so my rule of thumb is, is that if I'm not certain about it, if I don't know if that part really enhances anything, I take it out. If the person's repeated themselves or if we've already gone over that thing or if it's like way off track and really isn't, you know, interesting, I take it out. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes and um, sometimes I also move parts of the interview around. I don't do it often, it, but it is something that I am doing more and more when I have more time. Where, And I think this is the thing with engagement is that 
you really only have a small window of opportunity to engage that person who has chosen to listen to you. And so there Mm. might be a part of the interview that was done much later when the person's very relaxed that is more interesting and powerful if you brought it up. So those are some of the things that I take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And how long do you spend editing uh, a show? Um, I think now because it's mine and I know all the, you know, all the nuances. <laughs> yeah. Um, it could take an hour or two, but I have recently and I, I have an editor who helps me and it's amazing <laughs> having someone else do something. It's just amazing. This is great. This is what I need to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Finding someone that can help you, outsourcing, giving yourself the bandwidth to create more great stuff. Yeah. This is my song. You're singing yes. it. I can't, because I, I will admit I can be a bit of a control freak and this is like, it's like, oh, this is my, you know, this is my heart and soul. But letting go and finding someone, um, you know, she does such an amazing job. She does the the initial, what I'd call a first pass with all the, you know, ums and ahs and stuff. And then what that means for me is that when I go into it, I'm just focusing on content. Nice. And that's where I love doing things. And so it's like, why not, you know, employ someone else and give, you know, help them produce an income and have them as part of your team so you can focus on the part. How did you find her? Um, just on a Facebook page that I'm on for um, editors. And, um, yeah, she's she's great. I, awesome. It's so good. <laughs> I cannot stress uh, this It enough. is, it, especially the things... The things that you don't, you definitely, you don't have to do. Yeah. They, they're tasks that need doing, I agree. Mm. But if there's a task that you don't have to do and there is something else you could be doing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how often do you publish and what's your sort of promotion and marketing strategy for your show? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because I'm a radio show first, I do have a weekly slot. And for the first, up until actually this year, I was doing weekly episodes and man, that was intense. And I mean, I loved it, but I just got to the end of last year and I guess, you know, it was all the other stuff that goes on in the world. I just knew that if I didn't want to crash and burn, I needed to ease back. And so what I've ended up doing is because I had this like back catalogue, the radio station said, why don't you just do two new episodes and we'll do a repeat the others? Because for newer listeners, that could be a new, you know, a new show. And because I had this back catalogue of content, it was like, oh, why not? So now I am doing two new episodes a month and it is a lot, yeah, it feels a lot nicer and I tend to record quite well in advance. Like at the moment I have, I think, four episodes recorded. So that gives me some time okay, cool. to play with. Yeah. Um, and then recently what I've been doing is that I make a little video, um, often out of Riverside actually, I, th- I think, that makes quite a good video. I do about a 30-second to one-minute teaser of from the interview, and I do that before the episode publishes. And then once it does, I do about two or three other sort of social media posts about it. I send out a email to my email list sort of alerting them. <laughs> that there is this yeah. new episode. And I, um, I also give my guests 
you know, resources and stuff so they can share it as well. So I, I think all up I do like a social media maybe four posts or so on it, yeah. And with those posts, are you hoping that, do you know what your call to action is? Is it for people to engage with the post or is it to ideally head to find the podcast? It's a little bit of both, but right. I, <laughs> sometimes it is check it out, go and listen. And what I've in my, and this is the hard thing for me anyway, is that people are inherently lazy. <laughs> and so, oh. oh, yeah. And so getting that person who is scrolling on Instagram or wherever they are to then click a link in the bio is, you know, so you do yeah. sometimes have to make it very easy for them to maybe put it in stories and put the link right there. But a lot of what I do as well is around creating conversations. So, for instance, I'll pull a quote from the show that might be that I think, oh, that's a really good one. I, you know, that's quite powerful. And then I might mm. say, what was your experience or what do you think about this? Tell me your stories. And so getting people to engage like that, because if you start doing that and you start to build rapport, I think that's when you know, you can slide into their DMs and go, hey, <laughs> yeah. thanks for liking. Would they you- can become a guest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how have you grown? You mentioned email marketing, mm. and I find this really interesting because, you know, a lot of people say that email marketing is the key to success yeah. with everything these days, in, in especially online businesses, but um, podcasting in particular. How did you grow that email list and what was the value proposition to get people onto your email list? I'm terrible at this, I will admit, but I will share with you. <laughs> I will share, share with, with you. me. Be terrible with me. My email list is me. I've signed up to my own newsletter. It's so, I just, I'm doing other bits. I'm building a business. Oh, it's so funny, isn't it? Because I actually asked my friend who was in marketing, I said, do I really need to do this? And she said, yes, you do. So I know, the, I was the same. The way that I've done it is, but um, at first it was a free giveaway. And so um, people signed up and I think I had some bags or a T-shirt or something. And so that helped. I also have found um, doing paid content on Facebook that helped me sign a few people up. Um, so it has okay. been th- those sorts of things. And it re- I think it is consistency, which, you know, I I find really hard because I think, well, hardly anyone's bloody opening it. <laughs> Why should I be doing this? But yeah. as, as my dear friend pointed out, it actually, sometimes it takes people 11 times to see something to for it to get into their brain. Yes. And so I guess it's that, it's that rationale. If it, they always know this email's coming in, maybe somewhere down the line they'll go, oh, I really, you know, someone sent me something about that thing. Yeah. And so it's that sort of stuff. So what I'm working on at the moment is I'm creating a free download um, just with some bits and pieces about looking after yourself after you've had cancer. And so I'll probably turn that into a landing page to sign up to my um, podcast oh, as well. Cool. So those sorts of Great things idea, can be yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. Mm. But it, it is it is like you think, oh. <laughs> at least I think the way I look at it is if you just keep doing the email marketing, yeah. at least if they don't open it, but you're there every week, you're yes. demonstrating consistency of brand yes. by just being consistent. If Even if they don't open it, they'll yeah. know that you're consistent by not opening it because you're there every time. Yeah. Open their inbox and there you are. Hi. Yeah. Oh. That's the plan. <laughs> 
That's the plan. I love that. I love that. Yes, this has been amazing. I some fantastic insights there. I find I, I wanted to talk to you because I find the topic difficult. Mm. Just through, you know, my own experiences and things like that. And I I wanted to know how you approached it and you've approached it with such gusto as well like i'm going to do this i'm going to do this co-host or no co-host and i'm going to all right find email marketing i'm going to do it i'm going to publish these things no i love it one quick question on the podcast before we wrap up yeah is um if covid hadn't hit would you have still launched the podcast do you think yes yeah definitely yeah i think there had been something kind of bubbling and inside of me um, and I needed to let it out. And for me, um, that was my creativity. I needed to create something. And I think because I have, like for me, podcasting brings together everything I love about journalism and radio and I can leave the rest behind. And I think that has brought so much joy into my life after a, you know, very challenging thing. Um, I think that idea, it just, yeah, I think COVID probably just gave me some time to think about it, but I think I was always heading to to do something, yeah. Yeah. And what's next for the podcast? Have you got any big plans coming up? Yeah, I've got a couple of things bubbling away at the moment. I'm about to have a break um, because it's Easter coming up here in, in New Zealand. We take a break at Easter Um, And so I'm still going to be focusing on younger people's stories, but I've just got a couple of, yeah, ideas around, I guess, some of the experiences that we have. Like I want to sort of experiment a little bit with doing like a series of quite specific topic and things. Because I think this is the other thing. I think it's it's really important to um, experiment and not get to, mm. and just to actually let yourself be creative. And if it bombs, don't worry about it. Just move on and yeah. do something, you know, and try the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what works. So you've always got that to go <laughs> back to. You're in a nice, yeah. comfortable position that yeah. you've got an audience. You know what format works. You know what the topic is. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Well, if I could wrap up with my sort of show ritual questions, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Okay. First one is, what is the hardest part of podcasting for you? Oh, all the social media, like creating the social media. <laughs> creating the social media. Yes. You don't mind the engagement? Because quite often it's yeah. people feel like they haven't got the time for the engagement, but it's the creating the social media. Yeah, it's because um, I'm a little bit dyslexic. And so I really like... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I really like... Um, I like the creating the actual podcast, but I do find sometimes that, um, have, you know, creating bits for social media is a bit cumbersome. <laughs> yes. Cumbersome. Yes. Was there anything that got in your way when you were starting out that slowed you from starting when you wanted? Um, probably COVID. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, not really. Like, it, I... You no. you got me right that I did just go into it with gusto, and often when I go into something yeah. with gusto, I'm a, a bit of a force. So, no, <laughs> no, you went in head first, straight yeah. through. Charge. Yeah, we're on our way through. Yeah, what podcasts inspire you? Different ones, to be honest. Um, oh, do you know that's a really funny question because you, me, and the big C really that was what 
influenced me to start this podcast. And I think yeah. the other ones, definitely some other ones made that have been more journalistic or, you know, investi- you know investigating things, but have been very story-based that really created that love for it. Because there's a, um, an amazing Canadian journalist whose name escapes me, of course, but she made something called um, Finding Cleo and she is an amazing oh, okay, sp- yeah, yeah. storyteller. And I know that yeah. obviously that's very different from what, I, what I'm doing, but people who are fearless and are fearless in storytelling, those yeah. sorts of things really inspire me, yeah. Yeah, cool. Who holds you accountable for your podcast? Um me and the lovely people at the radio station, especially when I'm running late. <laughs> Just give you a nudge. Yes, but very nicely. <laughs> so you wouldn't stop because of the radio station or because of you? What's what's one um, I, who has the power? I think knowing I have to get something in so it plays at a certain time, I feel yeah. like I have a responsibility <laughs> to produce something because... If um, you didn't have that, do you think you would have, you know, maybe gone tri-weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? Gosh, do you know, that's a really funny question because I have often thought that and I do think being part of the radio station has really helped me be consistent, Yeah. 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 That's that's it's interesting that you kind of you have that framework, mm. but at any time you could stop, right? Yeah. 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 Next one. What small change has made a huge difference to your content creation? Inserting myself into it more. So I mentioned earlier that as a journalist, you, you're not used to inserting yourself into things because you're not meant to, right? You're not meant to be aware. No, you're supposed to be impartial, yeah. right? Yeah. And I did this fantastic, I guess, intensive podcasting course through Os- the OSA Academy. And we had a um, session on social media and I said, oh, I just don't get that much. I don't know. I, I think I'm at the time I was just sort of, you know, throwing up a thing saying, oh, I've got a new episode and the lady said to me maybe you're just not creating things people want to engage with and I thought how dare you (laughs) and then I went away and thought maybe she has a point and I've really started sharing my story and insights to my life now and that has made a huge difference yeah yeah it gives people something to have an opinion on yeah you know that's that's so important with podcasting is you might like it you might hate it but a response is really what we want we want the conversation to start we want people to feel like they can have discord yes yeah what advice would you give to a new content creator or someone sitting on the fence of whether to launch a podcast i think about um why you want to do it and i know that is quite you know we talk about it a lot your why and that sort of thing. But I would think about Mm. how much time do you have? Um, Do you love this topic enough that even on your worst day where you can't be bothered with anything, you can still talk about it and love it? Um, And really think about what is your goal. Like if you take away the idea of getting a million downloads and being, you know, paid squillions of dollars for it, what, what what do you actually want to achieve? And is a podcast the right um, format to to achieve that goal? Yeah, that's great advice. I think I I ring true with that all the time. I've had yeah. people recently inquire and 
if I'm honest, the podcast wasn't right for them. They wanted to launch one because everyone's talking about it. <laughs> yeah. But but really, they they didn't they didn't know who they were going to talk to. Yeah. They didn't know if it was to grow their business, to grow their network, to promote the sort of the products that they sell. Mm. They were like, oh yeah, it's all of them. And I, I just think that's that's going to be so hard to find the audience because it's, it's companies, it's different, you know, networks. Yeah, too true, that one. Mm. Uh, what three values would you like to be best known for? Being honest and, yeah, I think honesty and fearlessness and, yeah, I don't know, three. Think of another one. My mind's gone blank. <laughs> That's it. When people listen to your content, <laughs> they, they hear honesty. It's honest. They hear fearlessness. It's, it's fearless and it's yeah, it make it's that sort of thought provoking. Yeah. Nice. Thought provoking. Yeah. And the last one that I like to finish with is for you, what makes a good leader? Someone who is willing to let other people do what they're good at and for it to not threaten them. So I think a good leader surrounds themselves with people who um, complement what their strengths are and that they can admit, I can't do that thing. And so these people can. So let's all work together so we are stronger together. Yeah. Incredible. Well, I think you're a podcasting leader, definitely. Those values are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And it sounds like you do exactly that. You surround yourself with people. You give them the power to share their story. And I think that's mm. truly awesome. And thank you very much for your time today and creating the wonderful content you do. No, oh, thank you so much. And I'm so glad the dogs haven't barked. My background hasn't fallen over. So <laughs> excellent. Thank you for it's having me. It's a win. Me. Yes. We have, it's been awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. And that is the end. Thank you for listening to the Cult Creator Experience. I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions, topics, or feedback you would like to give me, hit me up on Instagram at cult.media, K-U-L-T media. And if you need help launching your podcast, growing your podcast, or just starting your content creation journey, let me know. I'd love to give you a hand or answer any questions you might have. Head over to cult.media to book yourself a free call. We can have a little powwow about podcasting and content. And until next time, be good.